Good morning. How are you doing today? I hope your Labor Day weekend is going well. Did y'all get a three or four day weekend? <laughs> a lot of people have. Then you may be one of those who are saying, nope, I'm working today. I'm working tomorrow. <laughs> we all have different schedules, don't we? Well, whatever your case might be, I hope you're having a good day. The fact that we are already in September is a little mind-blowing to me. This year is going by mighty fast. But the good thing is maybe we will be getting closer to cooler weather as autumn, I hope, comes soon. (laughs) I know some people like the summers, and summers are fine, just those hot, humid months, especially the end of July and August. But anyway, we are into September, and Jesus is still Lord and always will be, so it's all good. Today we are going to continue our study of the 50 commands of Christ. We have gone through command number one through number seven. So today we're going to start up with command number eight. But before we do, let's go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Father God, we praise you. Lord, we love you. God, we know that time seems to go by so fast, especially when we reach adulthood. But Lord, you tell us that our lives are but a vapor. We're here today, gone tomorrow, so it's just so important that while we are here, we give our lives to you and we live for you. We serve you all the days of our lives, and we will be with you forever and ever and ever throughout eternity. So, Lord, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for this day, this day that you have given us, this day that we get to open up your word and study your word. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to teach us. We pray that you would lead us and guide us into all your truths. And may we be doers of your word and not hearers only. Father, I thank you for each one listening today. Lord, you know what's going on in all of our lives. So for anyone out there who's struggling with maybe it's health, finances, whatever the struggle is, Lord, I just lift them to you and pray, God, that you would just reach out and just touch them right now, Lord. Let them know that you're with them and you've got them and you're going to carry them through this. Lord, I pray for those who are sick, that you would bring healing to them, Lord. Those who are sick with COVID, Lord, that you'd bring healing to them. And Lord, just continue to pray for the end of COVID, Father God, and the end of the suffering that's been going on with COVID. But Father God, we just thank you that you are in control. No matter what it looks like, you are Lord of all, and we can trust you, and we can take comfort in knowing that. So Father, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being our God. And Father, we just give you this time now. ask you to bless it, and may you be glorified. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. I want to say thank you to people who give us feedback on Sunday Morning with Love and Action. We do hear a good bit of feedback, and it's always good to hear from folks. I appreciate those who are truck drivers who are out there listening. We hear from you. Uh, We hear from people who are in prison who are listening. People who are delivery drivers, they don't have a church to go to, so they listen to Sunday Morning with Love and Action. We hear from people who say they listen when they're going to church or coming back from church, depending on which service they're going to. And our homeless friends listen. So just want to say hello to everybody, and God bless you, and thank you for listening. Let's get going on the 50 Commands of Christ. As I mentioned, we are going to start with number eight. We have gone one through seven. For those who are new to this study, let me just tell you real quick, we study the 50 Commands of Christ at Love and Action as part of our discipleship method, part of our discipleship program. The important thing about it is, one, it's the Word of God, and it's commands from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And he tells us in the Great Commission, the second half of the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, he tells us to teach others to obey all that he's commanded us. So we need to know 
the commands of Jesus so we can obey them ourselves, but also so we can teach them to others. So that's why this is such an important study. And you can go back and listen to podcasts of the two previous messages if you've missed those. And you can again, you can find the Love and Action podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much anywhere you find podcasts. So you can go back and, and check that out as well. And this teaching will be on there this week as well. Command number eight, do not commit adultery. Let's read Matthew chapter 27 verses, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter five, verses 27 through 30. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than for your entire body to go to hell. So Jesus took the commandment of do not commit adultery and really kicked it up a notch, or many notches actually. Because in the Old Testament we read in the Ten Commandments, one of those is do not commit adultery. And then Jesus brings that point up again in Matthew chapter 5. And Jesus expanded that definition of adultery in God's eyes, didn't he? The seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery, says that it's wrong for a person to have sex with someone other than his or her spouse. But Jesus said that a willful, calculated look leading to the desire to have sex in form of adultery, even if it is only in one's heart, then that's adultery. So see how Jesus really expanded the definition of adultery. And Jesus, he emphasized that if the act is wrong, so is the intention, the intention of our heart. And I usually tell people that the temptation to lust, that is not the sin. It's what we do with that temptation. If we look lustfully upon a woman or a female looks lustfully upon a male, and those thoughts about having sex with that individual come into your mind, then that's an intent of the heart. But if temptation to lust, the first time it comes to you, if you reject it, say, no, I'm not going to go there and just turn and look the other way, go the other way, then you haven't sinned. So too many times people think that temptation is a sin, but it's not. It's what we do with that temptation. Jesus, he's not condemning natural interest in opposite sex or even a healthy sexual desire. But it's the deliberate and repeated filling of one's mind with fantasies that would be evil if we acted them out. So that's what Jesus is emphasizing here. And what's wrong with the statement, it's okay to look as long as you don't touch? We've heard that before, or it's okay to look at the menu as long as you don't partake. What's wrong with that question? These questions that I asked throughout this teaching, is, it's a great, this is a great small group study or even a study with one other person because you can ask each other these questions and you really get some great responses. But here I'm going to just put those questions out there to you. I'll talk about some of them, but other ones I'll just toss them out there to you and just encourage you to talk with others about it. But that saying, it's okay to look but don't touch, what's wrong with that statement? Well, if it's left unchecked, those wrong desires are going to lead the wrong actions, and eventually turn people away from God. Now, did Jesus mean what he said literally in verses 29 and 30, where he talked about if your eye offends you or causes you to sin, just take it out and throw it away. Or if your hand causes you to sin, to cut it off. You read that and you go, wow, Jesus is getting really intense here. 
And yes, he's serious about this, but he made this radical statement to get our attention. In biblical times, the Jews linked the loss of limbs to martyrdom, which was not what Jesus had in mind here at all. He was speaking figuratively, for in fact, even a man with one eye can lust, can he? What Jesus, our Messiah, what he is saying is that we should deal drastically as necessary with sin. And he repeated this again in Matthew 18, verses 8 through 9. So we need to think about what things cause you to lust and what actions will you take to prevent lust in your life. So Jesus is, he's, he's not telling us right here, look, you know, pop your eye out or chop your hand off. He's saying we need to take drastic measures if necessary to get away from this willful sin that would lead to adultery, that would lead to following away from God. And so we need to think about what leads us, what causes us to sin or what causes us to lust and start taking measures not to put ourselves in that situation or those situations. An important thing to do is to have an accountability partner. And again, guys need to have another guy you can be accountable to and women have another woman you can be accountable to. And if you have problems with lusting, then have somebody keep you accountable. And that's very that's a very powerful thing. And it's somebody that you trust, somebody that you know is just going to keep it between you two and God. It's a powerful thing because a person who can keep you accountable, that will help you to overcome that sin and that lust, which can lead to all kind of terrible things in, in your life and in others' lives. So do not commit adultery. Number nine, keep your word. Now, that's an important thing, isn't it? Today, it's, it seems like it's harder and harder to find people who will keep their word. But Jesus commands us to keep our word. And let's look at that in Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. He says, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem. For it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. How did Jesus update the ancient saying about oaths? In a sense, the ancient saying was actually the third commandment. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God, or do not take the name of your Lord and God in vain. And we find that in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, and Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 11. Or perhaps more lightly, the law set down by the Lord through Moses in Leviticus chapter 19 through 12, where we read, Do not swear falsely by my name, and so profane the name of your God. And again in Numbers chapter 30, verse 2, we read, When a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but must do everything he said. Jesus, he redefines this idea of swearing by God's name or anything related to God by stating not to do it at all. In fact, Jesus did away with all oaths and vows in favor of simply speaking the truth. Doesn't that make it much easier? Just simply speak the truth. He says, let your answer be yes or no. That would make life a lot easier, a lot better, wouldn't it? If we would just all just speak the truth, let our yes be yes and our no's be no's. And so Jesus tells us that it's not appropriate to swear by heaven, by earth, or by our head, or even by, in this case, in Jerusalem as well. 
In the Mishnah, a Jewish book on doctrine, such oaths are viewed as not binding. But Jesus, he essentially says here that all oaths are covered by his prohibition. In what situations do people often swear? Think about that for a minute. When do people usually take an oath or they swear by something or someone? Think about how do we take the name of God lightly or frivolously when we take an oath? Truthfulness and honesty today, unfortunately, are not the norm. I wish it was, but we know that it's not. And also, oftentimes when people swear, don't they add a promise to that oath in the name of God? Or maybe they make an oath with God and or ask God for something and say, God, if you do this, then I'll do something or I'll stop doing something. It's like making a deal. But, uh, you know, we should not take God's name lightly. Here are a few questions for you. Do you find yourself making promises you cannot keep? Do you have a hard time saying no, in other words? So you make a promise, but you you can't keep it. Do you struggle with being a person of your word? And that's a problem if that's the case, because if we have our word, as the saying goes, we, we don't have anything. We have to keep our word. The next question, how can you remedy this issue? So think about that. If you, if you have issues keeping a promise, if you have issues keeping your word, what are some things you can do to remedy this? One, know that it's okay to say no. Sometimes God tells us no, doesn't he? It's okay to say no, because if we commit to something, we need to do it, and especially if we're a believer in Jesus Christ, because we are his ambassadors. And if we don't keep his word, then those who are not born-again believers in Jesus Christ, they're going to think that Jesus is that way and that Jesus doesn't keep his word. Well, we know Jesus always keeps his word, so we need to keep ours. So think about that and think about some ways you can remedy that issue. Number 10, go the second mile. As I've mentioned in our two previous broadcasts, one thing we do when teaching the 50 Commands of Christ is we write down these commands, usually on an index card, so we can go back and look at them during the week and remember our Lord's Word. So I encourage you to do that, and it's also good to write down the key verse uh, for each command as well. And some commands will have multiple verses, but at least write down that key command, and then you can go back and look at it. Number 10, the second mile. Go the second mile. Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. This is a tough command for some folks, especially Americans. So I often say we need to be a Christian first before we're an American. We need to respond like Jesus responds. Because if somebody slaps you, usually the first response is you're going to slap them back, right? Or somebody steals from you, you're going to get revenge. But Jesus totally changes this, totally changes the whole way of thinking here that we need to go the second mile here. And he mentions that, you know, turn the other cheek, he says, or somebody steals from you, in this case, a tunic, and let them have your cloak as well. And if someone forces you to go a mile 
with them, go two miles with them. So Jesus is, is, is really telling us to change our way of thinking and show love. Because you know what? Love is going to conquer. Love is going to win. And the more we show love, the more we're going to win people to Jesus. The eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. I think most of us, even if you haven't read the Bible, you've heard those expressions before. And it's an expression that was originally set down in Exodus chapter 21, verses 23 through 25. And also in Leviticus chapter 24, verse 19, and in Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 21. And it was given to the judges at that time in the Old Testament days. And it said, basically, in effect, let the punishment fit the crime. And the guide was given to limit vengeance and to help the court administer punishment that was neither too strict or too lenient. It was not a guide for personal revenge or a vendetta against somebody. Again, when we are wronged, our first reaction is what? Generally, it's to get even. Instead, Jesus, he tells us that we should do good to those who wrong us, and our desire should not be to keep score, but to love and forgive. So he tells us that first initial reaction to get even, we need to turn from that. And we need to show love. We need to show forgiveness. It's not natural, is it? <laughs> it's not. It really isn't. It's actually supernatural. And only the Holy Spirit can give us the strength to love as God does. Because think how we have treated God, how our sin, our disobedience has gone against his word and how we have treated him badly. But yet, he still loves us. Yet, he died for us so we can be forgiven of our sins. And so we, if we receive that forgiveness, we've got to forgive others. We need to forgive others. And again, I know it's not natural. It's not our first instinct. But the longer you walk with Jesus, I promise you, the more that your instincts will change, and you'll start living like Jesus. You'll start obeying his word, and it'll just become natural to you. So instead of planning vengeance, we need to pray for those who hurt us. And where do we draw the line between our rights and the responsibility to be forgiving and patient? And can love really overcome evil? This is where being in a small group is really important and really key to studying uh, the Bible, and especially uh, this study, the 50 Commands. That question, where do we draw the line between our rights and the responsibility to be forgiving and patient? That's a great question to ask someone as you study this. And can love really overcome evil? Well, yes, it can. We've seen it happen too many times. And how can doing good change a bad situation? We can share examples of that with one another as, as we study this. And doing good can change a bad situation. It can change the whole situation totally around. An important thing to remember is when you turn the other cheek, so to speak, don't expect to see immediate change in the person who wrongs you. It can happen, but there's some evil that will never be eliminated by punishment or by love. But eventually, it will be judged by God. But in the meantime, God commands us to love all, family, friends, neighbors, and yes, our enemies as well. So we have to love one another. God's going to judge everything. God's going to judge everyone. So let him take care of that. And even if the person who wrongs us never changes, then as long as we know that we did what we were supposed to do, then we're okay. And it's going to be all on them. Uh, example, I had a, a person who I thought was a friend who ended up doing 
Martha and me very wrong in a business venture and ended up really hurting us financially, real badly. But instead of getting mad and getting trying to get even with that person, I told that person that I forgive him and I also told him that he needed Jesus because the way he was living was not good at all and he, he needed Jesus. That person uh, eventually died not long after that. And I, my prayer was that he did call out to Jesus before he died. And I was just thankful to know that I had forgiven him. And I told him about Jesus quite a bit, actually, over a few years. And I just prayed that he gave his life to Jesus. But I know from my side that by forgiving him, then I did what I was supposed to do. And it's not always easy, but we need to do it. We need to follow the commands of Jesus because it gives us peace, too. Because when I, I found out that that person had died, I, I had peace of knowing that I had forgiven him and did what I was supposed to do. And I didn't have peace about where he went after he died because I, I didn't know, even though I, a lot of people had witnessed to him about Jesus. I don't know if he ever ended up giving his life to Jesus or not. And so that was the one thing I didn't have peace with. But when we obey our Lord's commands, there's a, such a peace in that. And by going the extra mile, as that command tells us in command number 10 here, there is a peace about doing that. And again, the longer we walk with Jesus, the more we do it, the easier it becomes. Again, it's usually not that first reaction, especially in your beginning walk with the Lord. But keep doing it and receive that peace that comes through obeying Jesus. Number 11, love your enemies. Here's another one that people can struggle with, is to love your enemies. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Had somebody recently ask me, well, does that mean I have to, I'm not going to call out any names or anything, but the person said, does that mean I have to forgive a certain politician and the Taliban? Yes, we have to forgive everybody. And I gave her that answer, and I gave her uh, some scripture out of here, uh, Matthew f chapter 5. She appreciated that answer because Jesus tells us to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute you. And we see he did that. And we see that his disciples, his apostles, did that. And so if they could, and they were in some very tough situations, and Jesus being nailed to a cross, that's as bad as it gets. And yet he still said, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. He still showed love to those who were killing him. And so we, we have to be like our Savior and love our enemies. And although presented as a new command in a new section, essentially this command is a continuation of the previous command to not seek retaliation and don't resist evil people. But here Jesus goes one step further and commands us to love our enemies and pray for them. In the Old Testament... The Jews had been told they were not to mistreat their enemies in verses like Proverbs chapter 24, verse 17, that says, Do not gloat when your enemy falls. When he stumbles, do not let your heart rejoice. And in chapter 25, Solomon says to be kind to your enemy. In other Old Testament verses like Exodus 23, verses 4 through 5, and Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 1 through 4, the Jews were told to help their enemy if their animals got in trouble. But there were other places like in Psalms 139 verses 19 through 22 and uh, Psalms 140 verses 9 through 11 that Jews interpreted as meaning they should hate their enemies. But with Jesus' commands and teachings, there is no ambiguity 
We are always to love, including our enemies. Jesus, he interceded from the cross for his enemies, as I just mentioned. He said, forgive them for they know not what they do. If you love your enemies and treat them well, you will truly show that Jesus is Lord of your life. That is a powerful witness, a powerful testimony to love your enemies and let them see that. And this is only possible if you give your life fully to God. We must trust the Holy Spirit in each of us to show love to those for whom we may not feel love. Now, if somebody hates you, somebody's persecuting you in many different ways, there's many ways to be persecuted. We may not feel like loving that person, but God tells us to love. And God loves and treats evil and good people the same way. So why is it difficult for us to do the same? There's a good question for you. I think it's because our human side wants to jump out and say, no, this is wrong. And especially here in America, we'll say, no, this is a right that I have. Even if it is, we still need to show love to people. It don't mean what they're doing is right. It doesn't make them right, but it's showing love. And we can also ask ourselves, is praying for an enemy a good first step to loving them? And I say yes. It is, because if we can pray for somebody, that means we can work on forgiving them and also showing them love. And I've often thought, how many people, people who who are persecuting Christians, have come to the Lord because of the love that the believers have shown them? I think about, there's Christians all over the world that are persecuted every single day unto death. And those who are martyred, those who are killed for their faith, are still showing love to those who are persecuting them, those who are about to kill them. That witness, that testimony has to touch some hearts. And I think about how many people have come to the Lord because of what they saw in a believer that they persecuted, because of that love and the the forgiveness that was shown. Uh, It just has to be a powerful testimony. And I'm sure people have come to the Lord through seeing that, even those who are killing Christians. It has to do something to some of them. I know not to all of them, but to some of them, and it has to. That witness is so strong. And we are going to stop right there. We will pick up next week with number 12. And I thank you for listening this morning. I I hope you're able to take some notes. Again, if if you can't, uh, go check out our podcast, the Love in Action podcast. Pretty much anywhere that you get your podcast, you can find Love in Action podcast there. And you can catch up and you can go back and take some notes. Because I know I throw a lot of scripture out uh, to you. And it's, it's important to Go back and read read the scripture and, and just study this for yourself as well. And before we end today's program, I want to ask you, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you surrendered your life to him? I want to encourage you to do so today. Today can be your day of salvation, just like I had my day of salvation many years ago back in 1989. And I praise God that night in my car. I gave my life to Jesus. And it's been a wonderful life since. It's been a life filled with challenges and problems and issues just like anybody else's life. But knowing that Jesus is with me through it all and giving me strength to make it through it all just changes everything. And feeling his love, knowing his love, and knowing that this is true life because he is life. He's the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to the Father. So I want to encourage you this morning to call out to him today, the best you know how. Something like, God, I need you. I I need your forgiveness. I've disobeyed you so many times. I don't even know how many. But I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. 
and to cleanse me of all my unrighteousness. And today I surrender my life to you, Jesus. Jesus, I believe with all my heart that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe with all my heart, God, you raised Jesus back to life from the dead so that all who believe shall not perish and have eternal life. And I believe, Jesus, you are my Lord and my Savior. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live for you each and every day. I may not know much right now, but I know I need you. And I thank you for saving me, and I love you. You know, just call out to him like that, and he'll meet you right where you're at, and he will come in. He'll come into your heart. He will save you. He'll forgive you. He'll fill you with his love, with his peace, and he will help you each and every day to live for him. If you've made that decision, I encourage you to to tell somebody about it. I would love to hear from you, and you can contact me at on email at ken.tuck at loveinactionministries.com, ken.tuck at loveinactionministries.com, or call us at our office at 334-494-4995, 334-494-4995. I'd love to give you some next steps. Well, thank you again for joining me this morning. Hope you have a great rest of the weekend, and maybe you're one of those who have a long weekend and and has tomorrow off. So enjoy it. Be safe. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May he lift up his face upon you and give you peace.